Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, on a very special Turkey Day edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, it's Thanksgiving, the day after the latest edition of the Wednesday Night Wars as NXT and AEW once again went head to head. We're not taking any days off hashtag no days off on this podcast we are going to break down everything from both shows in relatively short order before we get out of here today this is officially episode 98 of the getting over wrestling podcast and as you all know i have been heavily promoting our month of december which is going to have numerous special episodes including our 100th episode a few big time interviews and the first ever getting over year end awards now before i can even start getting those awards together i've told you guys i need a name i need something to call them i'm really struggling to figure out what exactly to do so if anyone has any suggestions not about names of individual awards i'm talking about the entire awards themselves you have grammys emmys tonys the oscars i need some type of name for the Getting Over Awards. And if not, I'm just going to call them the Getting Over Awards, which is okay, but it's not necessarily as good or as creative as I think we can be on the show. So if anyone has any suggestions, please make sure you send those in. As I noted, do not forget to keep an eye out for the 100th episode. It will be the first ever great debate episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast coming next Wednesday, December 2nd, with a couple very special guests on the show. If anyone has debate topics, we're talking history of wrestling here. Sean versus Brett, DX versus NWO is a ladder match, the greatest type of stipulation match. Any topics that you guys can think of, I'm going to pick three hot topics, and the entire episode will be a debate about those topics between me and the special guests that will be joining me. So hit us up via direct message, via tweet, at Getting Overcast. You can also email me directly, gettingoverpod at gmail.com. So send those in through the rest of the week. I'm going to come to a determination on what those topics will be by Monday. That is the absolute deadline. With that, we're going to get into today's show. As already mentioned, our Twitter account. Be sure to follow us there, at Getting Overcast. Not only do we do first releases of every single episode of the show, on the Twitter account, but we normally tweet about the wrestling shows as they're live on television as well. And then after you do that, if you're a first-time listener especially, head on over to Apple Podcasts, find the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, hit that subscribe button. But seriously, if you're already a subscriber, which most of you are, drop a five-star rating and review. It's the season of giving. Give to us. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being marks for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. I'd be remiss, by the way. We're available on way more than Apple Podcasts. So Spotify, Amazon, Google, wherever you listen to fine audio, you can find the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. But it is Thanksgiving, whether you're listening to it on the day or coming off the day. I hope you guys all have a very happy holiday. Let's just get into the show. Let's talk NXT and AEW. And we'll start with NXT, which had two really big storylines develop over the course of the show, both leading into TakeOver War Games coming up early in December. So we'll start with the men's side, the the four-on-four match 
featuring the men. And the main event of the show ended up being Pete Dunne versus an Undisputed Era member to be announced in a War Games Advantage ladder match. The show opened up with Undisputed Era speaking. Adam Cole was on absolute fire with his promo here. He went right after Pat McAfee through the camera. Then he hyped up Kyle O'Reilly as the person who would be taking on Pete Dunne in that match. And then he also just built up Undisputed Era as a whole. We haven't seen them on TV for quite a while. And now that they're kind of on the face side of things, Cole kind of needed to get them going again. And I thought he did a really good job of that on the microphone. He's always good on the mic, but this was just kind of captivating the entire time he was speaking. It was one of his better moments. And that's a guy who's had plenty of great moments on NXT television and on takeovers. Pete Dunne cut a promo back at Undisputed Era and O'Reilly a couple segments later. It was mostly boilerplate stuff. Uh, We got 15 minutes for this match, ultimately, and it could have gone an hour. One other nugget I did forget is they taped some stuff from Pat McAfee's radio show where he said he's not going to be there, uh, but that Pete Dunne, Oni Lorcan, and Danny Burch would take care of business. Back to the match. Uh, Like I said, 15 minutes, but this thing could have gone an hour with Pete Dunne and Kyle O'Reilly. Um, especially considering it was a ladder match. It was pretty brutal, and they got a lot in for just 15 minutes. Dunn powerbombed O'Reilly right into a propped-up ladder in the corner, then hit him with a vertical suplex over the top rope through another propped-up ladder that was between the ring apron and the barricade. O'Reilly dropped a knee from the top rope onto a ladder when Dunn rolled away. Dunn missed a spinning heel kick into a ladder. They then rammed each other's shoulders into the ladder repeatedly until O'Reilly threw one at Dunn's face. They saved the ladder climbing until the final few minutes, which was appreciated. I hate when you have a ladder match and they try to go for the briefcase or the title right off the bat when you know the other guy's at full strength. You need to deplete that energy level before you can actually make a legitimate try uh, for the briefcase. It's just like a cage match. When someone tries to climb out right away, you're like, why are you doing this? Like, You have to be smarter than that. You know they're going to catch you. Uh, O'Reilly nailed Dunn with a lariat. So Dunn absolutely ruined him with the steel chair, then dumped him over the guardrail. It looked like he was going to win right there, but O'Reilly ran back in at the last second and dumped Dunn off the tall ladder into another that was propped up in the corner. I thought it was going to break, but it didn't. Breaking, it would have been a slightly cooler spot. As O'Reilly was about to win, a man in a silver mask ran in and dumped him off the ladder over the top rope and to the floor. That allowed Dunn to climb and grab the briefcase to win. The heels always start war games with the advantage, at least they usually do. So the finish was not much of a surprise. It was a good swerve, telling viewers that McAfee was home for Thanksgiving, only to have someone actually interfere. You had only Lorcan and Danny Burch kind of on that elevated platform, along with the rest of the Undisputed Era members. That way, none of them couldn't interfere. So you're kind of thinking, hey, this is going to be a clean finish. But they kind of swerve you and give you a schmoz of some type anyway. Technically, this was a guy in a mask that interfered Pat McAfee on Twitter, promised it wasn't him. But based on the way he described the guy as an elite athlete, and if you looked at his Twitter name, he's calling himself Pat McAthlete, it kind of makes you think that it's actually him that he's talking about. But my guess is that Pat just didn't want to fly in for a 10-second spot on a Thanksgiving holiday with all the travel restrictions, all the issues. So they probably just put someone in a mask to do it for him, and then he gets to reveal himself as it later. Now, Is it a possibility that it's a fifth person to their faction? Sure. There's a possibility that someone got injured and is unable to compete in war games, so now they're adding another person. There's been a lot of mentions that Tyler Bate has not been on television, either NXT or NXT UK for quite a while. Maybe it's him. I think that's feasible. But if I was guessing, if I was handicapping it, I would just kind of go with it being 
McAfee and him not wanting to be there. So they put someone under a mask to basically pretend to be him. That's the men's side. So we're going to get the four-on-four War Games match, Undisputed Era, seemingly versus the Kings of NXT group that uh, we kind of just mentioned. I'm excited for it. It should be very good. Now on the women's side, they had to put this War Games match together and they went a long way to doing so, I think, on Wednesday night. Candice LeRae defeated Ember Moon in a singles match. Not only did Indy Hartwell join LeRae at ringside, Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez did as well. So Moon really had no chance to win the match anyway. The referee got distracted as she was about to hit Kai with the Eclipse, so she hit Hartwell with it instead. That gave LeRae an opening to hit Wicked Stepsister for the win. After the match, Moon was about to be attacked when Tony Storm ran down to save her, but instead of saving her, Storm actually turned heel, threw Moon back in the ring where she got dismantled. This was an interesting twist uh, because we all kind of fantasy booked war games with Storm on Shotzi Blackheart's face team and one additional woman joining that team. Now she's on the heel side instead, presumably, of Indy Hartwell. Not presumably, I think they straight out said it, which makes sense as Hartwell is not necessarily a big enough name to be in the match and they sold Hartwell not being in the match by putting her in a neck brace after taking the eclipse from Ember Moon. So that leaves... Blackheart and Moon looking for help. We had speculated on this show that Rhea Ripley or Io Shirai would be on the team as the fourth member. But before I could even give my prediction on the podcast, they pretty much made clear what was going to happen on television. They did a really great video package showing the aftermath of the Io Shirai-Rhea Ripley match. Both women recounted the match, all the pain they went through. A physician sold the physical damage that both women suffered, and Ripley was questioning what is next for her. Ripley hit the ring later to say that her post-match hug with Shirai was nothing but respect, and she was in NXT to stay, which makes sense given the timing of everything. You know, if she was going to leave NXT, you would have expected that to happen before the draft, and she gets drafted to a brand to just bring her up randomly would not have made much sense. At the same time, she's now lost to Shirai. She lost the triple threat match. She lost the NXT title to Charlotte Flair. And you're kind of like, what is actually left for Rhea Ripley in NXT? The answer probably is a heel winning the NXT title off Shirai and then Ripley making a run for it afterward. But now you're talking like six to eight months probably removed, further removed than she already is from the NXT title picture, she's already beaten Raquel Gonzalez one-on-one. What actually is left for her in NXT? I don't know. So that's the story they're telling. Um, and, you know, we'll see. But look, Triple H, we have to, you know, we, we praise NXT a lot because it's a really good product. But Triple H coming out of that WrestleMania said people should not be down on Rhea Ripley losing the title to Charlotte Flair because they had a long-term plan for her and it would all make sense in the long run. Well, right now, Charlotte Flair is off television, um, nursing some, I believe, rehabilitation as well as some corrective surgery she needed to get done. Rhea Ripley has lost two title matches, one, you know, head-to-head with Io Shirai, and there's seemingly no path for her. So look, uh, you know, when, when Triple H said that there was a plan in place, the expectation was by the end of the year, that plan would show up. Uh, I don't see no plan. I, I don't see Rhea Ripley being featured the way she would be. You guys have to remember, one year ago, the final NXT of 2019, Rhea Ripley was on the shoulders of her peers as NXT Women's Champion, only to turn around and lose that title four months later to Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania. This is one of your top women's stars. Now, Triple H 
loves Rhea Ripley. It's obvious that if Triple H was a woman or if he had a daughter, he would be booking her and treating her in terms of a character standpoint and and featuring standpoint at a young age like he does Rhea Ripley. But while I trust him with her, at the same time, it's fair to kind of question what they're doing. And at this point, you're looking at it and you're like, okay, so what's Rhea going to do? Is she going to start a tag team? Is she going to go after the women's tag team titles that aren't being defended on the main roster? Is it possible that Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler bring those down to NXT and lose to Rhea Ripley and a teammate? Yeah, all those things are possible. But right now, there doesn't seem to be a path forward. So look, she's young. She has a long career ahead of her. She's going to be a main roster women's champion sooner than later. She's probably on a path towards a Hall of Fame career in WWE. That's how talented and and great Rhea Ripley is, you know, as long as she can avoid injury and, and some other things. But man, like, it's fair to kind of ask, well, what are they doing? Because she was hot. She was the hottest person in on the entire brand in December 2019. And now she's kind of just another women's wrestler on the brand. They got to step up. But nevertheless, Candice LeRae uh, came out. I know I went off in the tangent there, but that's on me. Uh, Candice LeRae came out and chastised Ripley for losing to Shirai Clean, while LeRae has had two victories stolen from her against Shirai. Then Shirai comes out slumped over the shoulder of Raquel Gonzalez, and they get she gets dumped right on the uh, ramp. Ripley started taking out the heel War Games team by herself until they all ganged up on her, left her laying in the ring, and Shirai laying on the ramp. So it's obvious that we're going to get the heel team already mentioned versus Blackheart, Moon, Shirai, and Ripley. But just think about the eight women in this match. Insane talent. This might be the most top-to-bottom talented war games match that WWE has ever put on. You're talking about eight women who all could be today on the WWE main roster. You're talking about eight women who inside of a year or two all should be on the WWE main roster. That is how great the NXT women's division is and how loaded this matches. It's truly going to be insane stuff. And there's a chance that this is a match of the year contender when all is said and done. Later in the show, we got LeRae cutting a quick promo backstage uh, and then in the parking lot. And there was another person in a screen mask shown in the SUV alongside unmasked Johnny Gargano, Candice LeRae, and Indy Hartwell. So we've pointed out before that this is obviously Austin Theory, and they seem to be doing some type of mentorship gimmick with the Garganos and Indy Hartwell and Austin Theory. It's predictable, but folks. Sometimes predictable things are good. Sometimes predictable things are good. Let's talk about the rest of NXT. Uh, Kevin Owens was in for Wade Barrett on commentary this week. Obviously, you all know that I like KO a ton, but he was surprisingly low energy in this role. It was difficult to hear him at times, and he was dry with his sarcastic comedy. As great as he may be on a live mic, and we'll talk about that in a moment, or talking backstage, cutting promos. I actually do not think commentary, specifically commentary, is going to be for him, whether in the long run or whatever. I think there's other roles that he can have when he retires. He could be a great general manager, on-screen authority figure. He could be great in a producer or agent role or all those other things, a creative writing role, helping talent. I just don't think commentary is for him the way it probably is for someone like 
a Chris Jericho, for someone clearly like Samoa Joe. It is a strength. Booker T, I know people are iffy on Booker T in the commentary role. I always liked him. I found him endlessly entertaining. KO for me, he's not that interested in actually calling the match and he kind of more wants to just make his quips. Maybe as a third man that might work, but uh, just having him alone with um, Vic Joseph on Wednesday, not necessarily for me. Legado del Fantasma did a package. All three guys hyped themselves up as having ravaged the cruiserweight division. It really does kind of seem like there's no challengers left. They mentioned this guy, Kurt Stallion. But I mean, he's not someone who's going to beat Santos Escobar. So I still say they should have flipped this title to Swerve when they had the chance and moved Escobar into the midcard along with the rest of Legado del Fantasma. But look, they're still super cool. I like the gimmick. I like Escobar. But okay, let's ramp him up. Let's do something with him again. Kushida defeated Timothy Thatcher. This was a fun, hold-heavy, strong-style type of match. Tommaso Ciampa came down as it started, sat in a chair at the bottom of the ramp. That took some of Thatcher's attention away the whole match. Kushida eventually got the hoverboard lock snatched in for a submission. Credit to commentary and Vic Joseph. They really sold Thatcher tapping out as a huge surprise, as a big deal, which was great. And Ciampa told the camera that Maybe now it's Thatcher who has a problem with him. There was another part in the show that I'm not really going to talk about that Finn Balor uh, cut a videotaped promo. There was a speculation on this show that we would see Finn Balor versus Kushida at TakeOver War Games as the title match, but it doesn't seem like there's going to be an NXT title match on War Games. So look, Kushida keeps getting built up. It seems pretty clear to me he's going to be the next challenger. The question is when and where. Maybe we're talking final NXT of 2020. Maybe the first takeover of 2021 Royal Rumble weekend. That's still a long time away for them to go without Balor defending the NXT title. So my guess is Balor's going to get cleared any week now. And once he does, he will take on Kushida in the main event of a TV show. He probably just could not get cleared for war games. After the match was over, um, commentary, not only did they sell Thatcher, of course, as tapping out, but... Chiampa basically grabbed the camera and said that maybe now Thatcher has a problem with him. So it's pretty clear that program that was getting set up last week, they're going to continue it. That's a TV match. I do not think that should be on a takeover, but you know what? Again, it doesn't look like they're going to have a cruiserweight title match, an NXT women's title match, or an NXT tag team title match. So right now for takeover, you have two war games, the mid card match and Grimes Loomis, which we'll get to momentarily. That's four matches. Maybe that ends up uh, that being Champa and Thatcher, maybe that ends up being the fifth. Next, we had the KO show with Leon Ruff, the North American champion. It was weird to have a talk show with two total baby faces telling feel-good stories. But after that kind of weirdness at the beginning, it got really good with KO telling Ruff he needs to gain confidence and speak with conviction. Then it got amazing after that uh, with KO basically... Being hysterical, he was self-aware, directing the scene, breaking kayfabe about how when you're in a talk show segment and when you mention someone's name, their music always hits and then stuff develops and, you know, the, the show gets messed up. So they mentioned John and Gargano. Gargano comes out. They mentioned Damian Priest. Damian Priest comes out. They're all cutting promos on each other, obviously leading to a triple threat match, which KO also directed. He said, guys, oh my God, I wish we had an authority figure like Teddy Long. And if we did, you know what he would do. He'd come out right now and set a triple threat match for TakeOver. I, I'm sorry, guys. I just, when you said that, it just hit me like, what a shame that 
that Teddy Long isn't in NXT, right? Because he'd probably come out and make a triple threat match. I know he's not. Yeah, if we, only we had our NXT version of Teddy Long who could come out and, and make a triple threat match. I guess we don't have one. Yeah. Oh! In two weeks, a takeover war games. It will be Leon Ruff versus Johnny Gargano versus Damian Priest for the North American Championship in a triple threat match. I mean, the play at the end, William Regal absolutely nailing that. That was a great segment, honestly. I mean, there were really good matches on NXT and Dynamite, but that segment just really popped me as like a wrestling fan and a quote unquote, you know, insider. I'm not an insider, but, you know, someone who talks about wrestling uh, in in this type of format likes to think they know more than the average person, which again, I don't necessarily, but... I just, that type of stuff pops me, and I found that to be endlessly entertaining. Regal was great. KO was great. Gargano was great in that segment. Priest was pretty good. Ruff was okay, you know. You know not to be trite, he was rough around the edges a little bit, but he'll he'll get there. Uh, but it was just funny all around, and I, I appreciated the effort that they all gave in, into making that more than just a regular talk show where all that stuff happens. Owen's kind of taking it to that level. It's probably only something that he can do on NXT, and I appreciated him doing it. Uh, Cameron Grimes defeated Jake Atlas in a singles match. Grimes won clean with the Caven. Dexter Loomis appeared after the match. Grimes ran away as Loomis pointed to a cartoon on the video board and non-verbally challenged him to a strap match that was not accepted. Regal made the match official for TakeOver as Grimes complained backstage. I like when wrestlers have signature stipulation matches and a strap match uh, keeping your opponent close to you when they want to be far away from you because they're scared of you or because you're strange, that really does work for Loomis. So while I am not totally enthused about the match because I've grown tired of the storyline and I think both of them would work better without the other one, I get it and I'm pretty okay with this being the booking. The fact that it is a strap match, a stipulation match gets me a little bit more excited than a regular singles match on pay-per-view. Zia Lee and Boa hopped in the back of a car. They were very scared. They arrived at a warehouse where a mystery Chinese man was waiting for them. Uh, they called him master and bowed. Inside, they begged for forgiveness to a woman cloaked in black. X's were drawn on their hands and the segment got cut off. So we're still in the dark about what this is going to be. Um, you know, I'm not going to make any judgments on it until it's revealed, until we find out not only just what it is, but what they're going to do. Are they going to start winning? Um, are they going to actually be some type of group or faction? Are the characters going to be good once they're changed? All stuff that I'm really curious about. I did have uh, someone, a listener, uh, hit me up, and I'm sorry I don't have your name because it was a full week ago at this point. But I was talking about, hey, you know, I don't really know if there's any other Chinese nationals or just Chinese Americans in, in, in the company right now where it would make sense to have this be based on nationality, this group. And someone pointed out to me, there is indeed another person of Chinese descent, and that's Karen Q, who has been injured and out of action for a long time. It would be plausible because now we know that this person is a woman. It would indeed be plausible that she's that person. But again, this is someone we've seen on NXT television, not in a dominant type of role. So how does she become that? What is the relation between these three? 
that is something that we will need to see develop over time. And, you know, I'm going to give them the runway, just like I do with WWE or AEW. I will give NXT the runway to tell the story and see if we like it. And then last year on NXT, the grizzled young veterans returned and attacked Everrise before what looked to be a scheduled match. Zach Gibson cut a quick promo, then hit the codebreaker. They had shown up right before the pandemic, grizzled young veterans. So it's great to see them back. As we've said, the NXT tag team division in the US has been badly in need of, of depth and talent. I think we're starting to see that all kind of solidify and come together. It's still not probably going to reach the levels that it did, you know, two, three, four years ago, but talent is better than no talent. And there's no question with some of the additions that they've made, all of a sudden, this division is way more talented than it was four weeks ago and then six weeks ago. So that's it from NXT. I thought it was a really solid show up and down. Nothing spectacular. I thought last week's show was clearly better, but look, they are building towards TakeOver and the fact that I'm able to kind of begin talking about NXT with two longer storylines building into those War Games matches is really good. And when we move over to AEW, I give them credit because there's a lot of weeks on AEW where they don't have that singular storyline that they're building towards throughout the entire show. And I I criticize them for that because that's kind of what I like from my wrestling. Not just here's a match, here's another match, here's another match, and here's some segments in between, but a general concept of a show. And they have this Winter is Coming special event next Wednesday, December 2nd, the same day as the 100th episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Ours will be out in the morning, first thing in the morning, bright and early, by the way. That will certainly happen in the evening, Uh, AEW, that is, as well as NXT. Uh, But they're clearly building towards that show. They want this to be a big ratings grabber, and they are going with their premier match that they could make any division, any wrestlers, John Moxley defending the AEW championship against Kenny Omega. So that's the main storyline, and that's what we're going to talk about to open up the AEW Dynamite segment today. Uh, Kenny Omega challenged John Moxley to beat him in the middle of the ring clean via pinfall submission or stoppage rather than rely on his garbage weapons and hardcore stunts. Omega was in full cleaner mode in this promo, talking shit to Mox and fully acting on the heel side of this match. Not only was the promo fantastic, Omega issuing that challenge is exactly what I wanted because Mox really has been using all of that stuff as a crutch. And I know people like that about him, but I want to see Jonathan Good, the wrestler sometimes. And Kenny Omega, I want to see Kenny Omega, the cleaner. Not just sometimes, all the time. So the fact that I'm presumably, it seems, going to get both of these in one match, and it's going to be the match that I've been waiting for, and many of you have been waiting for, that excites me. If we're getting Omega and Moxley again, I want it straight up. Let's see what they can do. I'm very excited about it. Moxley interrupted an Eddie Kingston promo backstage, but Kingston promised he didn't attack him from behind, saying that he now had his own shit to handle. Moxley did not say a word in that entire segment. Uh, There there was a contract signing, a second chance really, at a contract signing later in the show. Moxley attacked Omega from behind inside that entrance VOM area as he was set to make his way to the ring. It was pretty cool because it was like a shadow box deal, like where there was a screen up in front and you just saw Omega waiting to get called out. But instead of that, Moxley attacked him and pushed him through it. So that was just really cool the way they did that. Uh, Once they got into the ring, Mox hit the paradigm shift on Omega into the AEW title. Moxley assured Omega 
that he was going to basically kick his ass and this was just a taste of what he would get at Winter is Coming. He also assumed that Omega hired someone to attack him last week and said that they failed. And he basically just said, hey, I'm going to be dominant uh, over you like I have been dominant over AEW in the world of wrestling over the last 18 months. And that basically was the promotion for their match next week. Now, because we aren't going to do a ultimate preview just for a special TV show, especially when it's really a one match card, there are more matches, but it's not really being built the same way that Halloween Havoc was for NXT, where there were a number of big matches and multiple title matches all set for that show. This really is a one match main event card with a bunch of other, you know, good, well-built matches that are going to be on the show as well. So looking ahead to next week, we will preview this match. AEW, as I said, the special show is going to be called Winter is Coming, clearly a Game of Thrones takeoff. This will be the main event and it should absolutely dominate. Moxley Omega is the match that AEW has been building towards, which is why I'm partially surprised that they're putting it on TV, unless they're just looking to crush a rating before the end of the year. This should go one of two ways, this match. One way, Omega wins the damn title, takes it off Moxley, and completely refreshes the main event scene in AEW. Or the second option is someone other than Omega is revealed to actually be the attacker on Moxley, and that person factors into the finish somehow. That would potentially be disappointing, but it would be acceptable to me as long as it's good. Now, I don't know who that attacker could be that would make sense or would enhance the storyline. Maybe it's like a hangman page who's jealous that he didn't win that eliminator and that begets another feud. I don't really know. And I can't actually book it because I'm not sure the direction they would go. And that's why I'd be okay with it as a finish, because it would be a surprise to me and potentially something that I'm not expecting. But I really do think if it's clean, Omoxley needs to win the title. He needs to go over. You need to kind of go into 2020 with some new energy and Omega being that new champion, Moxley being the guy fighting from under. I always like Moxley as the guy without the title, who's itching and scratching and clawing to get that opportunity rather than the guy who's just firmly on top. So I think it would be a nice change of pace to change it. Uh, We'll see what AEW and Tony Khan decide to do. But these segments were all very good. They did get me very excited for the match next week. I don't think there's anything that NXT could really put up against it. Uh, So NXT, you know, the ratings have not been great for it recently, but when it comes to next week and the winter is coming special, I think it's going to be pretty bad. I think AEW may end up reaching like 900,000 and NXT may be closer to 600,000 on the the low end of that, which that 300,000 gap would be one of the larger ones we've seen between the two shows. But maybe I'm wrong. We will find out next week. As for the rest of AEW Dynamite, Hangman Adam Page beat John Silver. Uh, The first half of this match for me was an eye roll. Honestly, it was pretty boring. But once Silver got into gear, it was great. He countered a buckshot lariat with a Huracarana pinning combination, but Hangman then basically came back and hit a buckshot lariat for the win. Dark Order came down after with Evil Uno saying they would be there for Page if he was interested. So, okay, interesting. We'll find out where that goes. Darby Allen uh, broke another car window, spray painted the hood. He then fake lit a line of gasoline and they graphically burned a car with CGI, um, 
zero point zero. Uh, you know, I'll say it every week. Like Darby Allen, the wrestler. Hate the video packages. Hate the character. Doesn't work for me. I may be in a minority there. I've given it a shot. He was the person I was highest on in AEW when they debuted as a guy I thought had a huge ceiling. I see it less and less every week. Uh, Powerhouse Hobbs defeated Lee Johnson. Will Hobbs changed his name. I actually like it. Will Power, Powerhouse, works for me. Uh, Hobbs barely did anything he won with a regular slam. Taz started cutting a promo at AEW not acknowledging or recognizing the FTW title. He said he wouldn't leave the ring until someone from management came out and addressed the situation. Taz's mic got cut off twice. Then Cody came out with a suit and a headset on, presumably sitting in the gorilla position, and delivered some corporate speak. Taz shot back, asking, what, does creative have nothing for me? Or saying he you know, thought that AEW was going to wish him best in his future endeavors. More WWE references. Cody came back and insulted Taz by asking, if FTW life was so good, why is Taz's son Hook training at Cody's school instead of Taz's school? Taz got, you know, really pissed. He acted it up in a, in a great way and told Cody off before locking him in the Taz mission from behind, which I did not expect. So that was a pretty cool spot. Then suddenly his son Hook was randomly there and walked off with his dad. Uh, this was great stuff, playing off Cody's dual role with the company, though Taz's general complaints about FTW are pretty much without merit. Like they're allowing the title on TV. They had a title match, I believe, between Cage and and Hobbs. I'm not exactly sure what his complaint is. It's not a real title. It's not an AEW title. So why should they recognize it? Just because you want them to? Who is in the FTW division? There's basically no one there. There there could be. You have other big guys like a Lance Archer and other dudes. But Brody Lee is another good example of someone who could be in there. But you're not really playing up the title. So really the complaints are just, hey, pay attention to me and pay attention to the FTW title. So I think from that concept, the storyline kind of sucks. But in terms of getting Cody involved in the management, you know, look, AEW wants to do something with an authority figure, but they don't want to use Tony Khan because Tony said he would never be on TV in that capacity. I guess they're doing it, right? So credit to that. I am intrigued by it. They're playing to the nostalgia of fans from the 90s and the 2000s where Vince McMahon or Eric Bischoff would get involved in angles and it would ratchet things up, right? I mean, Mr. McMahon is one of the greatest characters of all time. I don't necessarily think Cody's going in that direction, but the fact that he was there in that, you know, really long coat and the headset, I mean, it was pretty clear what they were going on direction-wise. Later in the show, Ricky Starks cut a promo saying AEW treats them great, but they have a huge problem specifically with Cody trying to hold all of them down. It was kind of nothing. I, I felt it was a little bit too much for the entire show. They didn't need to add that on top of what we already got. The Hybrid 2 defeated Top Flight, this was a fun match with four great athletes. Top flight hit a tope suicida, followed by a tope con hero, and a big splash for a two. TH2 eventually got an ankle lock submission, and then the Young Bucks came to the rescue. Uh, there was a promo with Vicky Guerrero and Nyla Rose. They said Brandy Rhodes only had her job through nepotism. Hey, we got 30 seconds of the women in hour one as opposed to zero. So I guess that's something. FTR cut a promo. A uh, video promo about losing to the Young Bucks, but still being the baddest in the company. Tully Blanchard said it's their destiny to regain the titles. These two segments didn't do much of anything, but I like that AEW finds a way to keep people on TV 
even when they don't have a storyline for them in the show during a given week. WWE could really learn from that. Uh, For example, if there's a week where you don't have something for Chad Gable and Otis, have them cut a 60-second promo backstage. Have them show Gable working with Otis. It's a retribution. They weren't on Raw this week. Why was there not a promo? Why was there not them strategizing something uh, or causing a little bit of havoc during uh, another match where you're like, oh, wow, it's weird that Retribution didn't show up, but at least their presence was felt. These are all little things you can do to remind people that these characters are around and you're not forgetting about them rather than the only way they get on TV is if they have a match. And I think that's pretty silly. So AEW does a really good job of that. Uh, Chris Jericho and Jake Hager defeated SCU. AEW was putting color-coded graphics on the screens like in a boxing match, telling viewers what color tights each person was wearing. I'm not quite sure why they felt the name to do that when they do nameplates upon the entrances, but they did it in a couple matches on the show. SCU was great in this match. It was fun to see them actually wrestle again. Christopher Daniels hit the best moonsault ever, but Jericho broke it up. With the referee turned around, MJF punched Daniels with the diamond ring. Jericho hit the Judas effect and Hager got the win. Good heel faction, good heel finish for a heel faction. Scorpio Sky made the save on the post-match, and Jericho cut a promo later saying he would end Frankie Kazarian's career next week, so clearly that's going to be a match on Winter is Coming. Uh, Miro and Kip Sabian said they had a new video game segment. They were in a trailer, I guess, about to play video games or something. Orange Cassidy came in, turned off the system in the trailer, then lured them outside where best friends beat them up. This storyline is not for me. Kip Sabian and Miro, their characters are not for me, and it's not getting any better. Lock and zero. It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. Yeah. In in other words, it ain't getting over. And Miro, oh my God, he's going to be so much better off in AEW. Not seeing it, folks. At least not right now. Uh, we had a women's title match. You know the drill. Only women's match on the show. 90 minutes in with a commercial break. Hikaru Shida defended successfully against Anna Jay. At least AEW gave them a little bit of build with a video package before the match began. The whole thing, start to finish, bell to bell, six minutes with a long commercial in between. Shida retained by hitting Tomashida. Abaddon crawled onto the ramp and licked the title uh, with blood coming out of her mouth, terrifying Shida. Right as it was interesting, you're wondering what's Abaddon going to do next. AEW just cut away from it. Again, if they don't care about their women's division, I'm not going to care about their women's division. This had a little bit more substance than some other things we've seen, but that was really it. Matt Hardy cut a promo about overcoming odds in 2020 uh, and that he was able to and fans should be able to as well. There was really nothing to it. And then we got the main event, Pac and Ray Phoenix versus Butcher and the Blade. Late in the match, Blade dodged a shooting star press from Pac, caught him with a power slam, Just as the faces had the momentum, Kingston ran down behind the referee's back and pushed Phoenix off the top rope. Butcher and Blade hit him with an elevated neckbreaker for the win. This was a needed win for the team and good booking to continue the feud. I know I saw some people online complaining, hey, AEW is not supposed to do all these BS type of finishes, but we got two of them in the same show. Look, it's wrestling. Heels are heels. Sometimes the heels can win clean. A lot of times they need some type of distraction finish to win. And yeah, were there two and they were a little bit close together? Yes, was a little bit of a WWE theme. Maybe a little bit, but I've said this numerous times, folks. Wrestling is wrestling. NXT is going to have finishes like this. AEW is going to have finishes like this. WWE certainly has a lot of finishes like this. 
AEW still is more like main roster WWE than it is NXT. And I don't think people still to this day understand that. But this was a good match. It was a good finish. I don't feel like it was a main event match. Really? Pete Dunne versus Kyle O'Reilly. Anyone who got word of that happening on NXT, they really should have flipped over. If they did not, it was a far superior main event. But this was indeed fine. Pentagon ran down afterwards to help, but the family was able to take him out. Kingston DDT'd Pac into a chair and was set for another when Lance Archer randomly ran down for the save. Archer has a problem with Kingston stemming from that battle royal. Kingston declaring that he was the actual winner, not Archer. I'm not exactly sure why they needed to insert him in this, considering it's already one trio versus another trio, and the family did not have a numbers advantage. But now you have Archer here. I guess Archer is going to have a match at some point with Kingston. But again, I don't know where now Death Triangle factors into fighting them. So it seems like they're shoehorning two feuds in at once. Maybe the heels need to find a fourth member. Maybe they're going to do a special type of eight-man match. But it's just kind of uneven. So the booking I thought was strange, but the match was good. Uh, as far as Dynamite goes, you know, just like it was really similar to, eight, to NXT. Two weeks ago, both shows I didn't think were great. Last week, I thought both shows were great. NXT, I thought, was one of their best shows of the year. This week, I thought both were a step down from last week. This week, I thought NXT was clearly the better show over AEW, but it really wasn't that far apart. Uh, Neither of them were particularly special. Both of them were entertaining, and that's kind of where we stand leading into this next week of action. AEW promoting Winter is Coming. NXT still building on the way to take over war games. Now, before we get out of here, I did have someone send over a DM correcting and providing more information on something that I said on Tuesday's episode. We had hashtag North Dakotan at Chef Aaron 26. He says, if anyone hasn't answered your Orton Styles WrestleMania 35 question on what their feud was about, AJ was saying SmackDown was the house that he built. That made Randy confront him about how he made SmackDown before AJ ever got there. And Orton's quote hit the nerve of the feud. The rent is due at WrestleMania, you son of a bitch. The reason why you probably don't remember it is because the feud was nothing and the one-off match was pretty forgettable. Okay, that makes sense. That's exactly why I didn't remember it. Um, I don't really have much more from you guys. Uh, My assumption is that uh, most of you were taped. AEW and NXT, usually I get numerous DMs or tweets coming out of the shows, but even myself, I only sent... One tweet during both shows, I was just so busy making Thanksgiving food and and getting all that stuff together. I did get one other message, though. I'll I'll read that now. From John Dumphy at John Dumphy 68 he asks, have there ever been more wrestling couples at once? And could this be a growing concern for both AEW and WWE, as many of these couples are now in separate companies and may look to leave one company in order to be with their spouse, significant other? Uh, so the first answer is no, there have never been this many wrestling couples truly of people who are on wrestling television. I mean, you got to think about couples that aren't even on TV, like Miz and Maurice, um, you know, Becky Lynch and Rollins is a newly developed Charlotte and Andrade, certainly the Garganos. Those are all kind of confined within WWE, but then yes, Britt Baker and Adam Cole, Peyton Royce, and Sean Spears. There's a couple others out there, I believe. Swole and Cedric Alexander. Like, it's pretty crazy. Now, the question is, 
Will they leave and go one brand to another? You know, I don't know. The way you look at it, of the of the relationships that are split between WWE and AEW right now, which side has the better half of the couples? You know, I think Britt Baker's great and she would fit in WWE very well. But I think Adam Cole has the edge. I know Cedric Alexander has the edge on Big Swole. And I think Peyton Royce either has the edge on Sean Spears or it's at least right down the middle. So would any of them leave WWE to go over to AEW? I mean, it's possible. I don't think so. Would any of those in AEW swap over to WWE? Well, we know Sean Spears wouldn't. Big Swole, I don't think, would because she's actually getting featured now where in WWE, I don't really think, I think she'd go right to the PC, maybe NXT. I don't think the ceiling would be high for her right off the bat. She's still very green. Britt Baker, I think she could go over. That would be the possibility. But I think she's also on a multi-year deal with AEW. She's allowed to continue her dental practice. I don't think that's something that she would be able to do in WWE because even if WWE does not go back to touring the way it did, it still does require more dates of of you than AEW does. And WWE will at least do touring of some kind eventually. My expectation is they're probably going to end up doing something like one house show book ended to Raw, one book ended to SmackDown each week. That way, there's a couple additional avenues for live event revenue. Maybe because the live events will be more scarce, that means more people will actually attend them. They'll be in cities fewer times each year. So I do think there will still be some additional touring, which, you know, if you're someone, if you're a dentist, being away from your practice that many days, I don't know that that's really sustainable. So I actually happen to believe that all these couples are in the right organizations, the ones that are split. And I don't really see much reason for them to flip one to the other. I mean, maybe Adam Cole could flip over, but their AEW's roster is so loaded. Even if they put him right into the main event scene, is that really going to be better than where he is right now in NXT? And I assume a main roster call-up is going to come sooner than later for him in Undisputed Era. So I just don't, really see it. Honestly, I think everyone's good where they are. And I'm good where I am. That is the end of this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I appreciate all of you listening. I do hope everyone listening in America uh, has a happy Thanksgiving, a really good Turkey Day for everyone around the world celebrating holidays this month and next month. I hope everything goes well for you guys as well. A reminder, next week starts the huge month. That is the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We have our year-end awards coming at the end of the month. Two big interviews already booked for December and the 100th episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast coming on Wednesday, December 2nd. It's already booked. We're going to tape it early in the week. I'm very excited for all of you to listen to the first edition of The Great Debate. Again, if you have any topics, send them in gettingoverpod at gmail.com at gettingovercast on Twitter. Do not forget to follow us there. And please head on over to Apple Podcasts. It's the holiday season. It's time to give thanks. It is all about the five. Drop us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. Thank you all for listening. As I said, I hope everyone has a great holiday. I will see you on Tuesday. That means I have just three words left for you. 
Bye for now.